Today, I have sitting down with Bill Kratz, Home Smart Realty. Bill's been in the real estate industry for, for about 10 years now. Uh, he's been uh, investing in properties. Uh, he started as an investor, became an agent, uh, then he became a broker. Um, Bill is originally from the area with a background, actually, not necessarily in business, but party promoting, which we're going to talk about how could probably give probably gave him more experience and skills to excel in business than probably an MBA or degree ever would. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more, but uh, hey, Bill, welcome. Thanks for sitting down here. Sean, thanks for having me. Pleasure yeah. to be here and looking forward to uh, having a conversation. So how did you get started investing in Philly? So you look at all the different marketplaces to invest in. Uh, there's bar none. Philly is, is the best uh, market in this area uh, for a plethora of reasons. You know, number one, you have really low taxes. You have uh, low price points. So when I was first getting started in real estate, I couldn't afford to buy you know the two hundred thousand dollar townhome in, in Exton or or Downingtown or Westchester or any of those areas. So Philadelphia um, provided that opportunity for me to get started. Uh, on top of that, when you look around to all these other East Coast cities, New York, uh, D.C., Boston. Uh, Philadelphia is, is a majorly undervalued city um, as far as price points go compared to those other cities, and it presents a major once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you know anyone to be able to build a serious amount of wealth, in fact, generational wealth in a, in a let's say, a 5, 10 to 15-year time period if you know exactly what you're doing. So is it important when you're getting started to be somewhat local to where you're investing? Right. So if you, the further out you go from your investments, the harder it is to, to manage, maintain, to make decisions um, you know, on your properties. But if you set up the right systems, mm -hmm. uh, you could definitely um, be successful. But Philadelphia's in our backyard. But it does present a challenge. Like if, if a toilet breaks... It's not a five-minute drive for me to go and, and un unclog it. Luckily, I've built a team of, of maintenance men that can go out and, and handle those types of things. Yeah. So when I talk to people, and even myself, getting started in investing, like I, I grew up in Westchester. I live in Downingtown. My first, my first inclination is find an investment in Downingtown, mm -hmm. find an investment in Westchester. Is that... A good idea or if someone's starting if someone's just starting I think they're going to start looking immediately down the street from them immediately within their own town um, on one hand they know it on the other hand they might be a little bit biased and a little bit closed off to other deals that might be going on um, what's the uh, like like should people be looking immediately what they know or should they be branching out a little right bit I think first and foremost Highest level, it always makes more sense to invest in what you know, invest yeah. in where you know, and if at all possible, you, you would want to stay within that, that comfort zone there and branch out as necessary. That being said, before 
getting involved with any type of investment, whether it's, it's investing in rental properties, investing in, in flipping properties, you really have to take a step back and figure out like, what your ultimate goals are. Like, why do you want to invest in real estate in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to take on that risk? Have you thought about the risk? Has a person you know, in the business explained what the risk is and explained how time-suming it can be? And, and are you right. comfortable? Does it, can you sleep good at night you know, with these types of risks? So you know, I would love for everyone to build wealth and, and do awesome things in real estate, but everything isn't for everybody. So the main thing is to adjust your mindset, to make sure you're comfortable with it um, and you understand the risk. And then from there, it's like, like why? Like, what is, what is your ultimate reason? You know, is it financial independence? You want the passive income stream? Um, is there a certain amount of, of cash goals that you're trying to get to every month? Like, say, for example, I don't care about long-term wealth, but I only need to make five extra grand a month to pay for my kid's college. You know, that would, uh, as a consultant, I would po- point you in a different direction based on your goals. So knowing exactly what, you know, some of your income goals are, your life goals, and also your, your tolerance for risk would help you decide uh, how to move forward with real estate. Right. And I was actually, I had this conversation yesterday and cause I got my first rental property and someone, and it's been about, it's been about a year or two. And, uh, a friend of mine asked me, how's that going? Would you recommend it? Would you change anything now that you've been doing it? And I was like, well, yeah, for sure. I definitely think it's a good idea. I'm glad I did it. But I think over the years, we've had a lot of books and gurus kind of come out and they, they make it, they say, they throw words around like passive income. They, they say things like make money while you sleep. But in reality, it's a business just like any other business. And some people should be opening up, starting a real estate investment business. Maybe some people should be doing more consulting or open up a dry cleaner or something, but there's still going to be certain things. It's a little, little less hands-on, but as I told him, I was like, when it comes to a couple of properties, it, the stressful harder times are going to be a lot more worth it. If your goal is to, is to grow it into a business, I I almost feel like the, the people who are like, Oh yeah, just, just grab an extra property, have it. And then, you know, down the road, it'll, it'll, it'll make more money. I'm always like, yeah, until it doesn't, and you got all your eggs in one basket. Right. I think the main thing is, and this is a major takeaway, is that it is not what the gurus and the flip shows on TV make it seem to be. You can lose money much quicker than you can make it, and there's people losing money every day. I just had a conversation with a very experienced investor yesterday who lost 20 grand on a project recently, and for some people, that could be your entire life savings, and it's it's nothing to play with, yeah. so you, you don't just hop in and, and expect to get rich overnight. It's going to take time, right. and you have to have a plan, and you have to surround yourself with the right people, because this industry is also filled with sharks that are they're out to make a quick buck, some knowingly and some uh, professionals, they don't understand the markets and they're pitching you on deals and you might think they make sense, but they really don't. So um, you definitely have to just make sure you're, you're with those right people. Right. And, you know, from there, just understanding again what those risks are and, and knowing that you're going to, there's a good chance you're going to lose money. And in fact, there you will, if you're serious about this business at some point, it's like the person who rides a motorcycle. You've either, you've either been down or you will be going down, and there's no in-between. That's, that's like an old <laughs> saying. So it's either you're going to lose right. money now or lose it later. But you know, over the long haul, you can become extremely wealthy, but you just have to be comfortable with losses. It's like anything in life, any business, stocks. Right. Um, even if you played sports as a kid, you're not going to win every game you play. 
uh, but you just have to just know it going into it, and it's not as easy as it seems. Well, in sport, well, it seems like from what I've heard about when it comes to trading and stocks, and just like in sports, discipline kind of is the name of the game. Right. And you talk about being, it's not whether you're a good investor or a bad investor, it's whether you're a disciplined investor or an undisciplined investor, because the undisciplined investor will have some wins, but then they'll have some loses, and in the end, there's a really good chance it's not going to work. Whereas a disciplined investor who has like a certain strategy of when they're going to buy and sell and hold, they, uh, you know, they're going to have some wins and they're going to have some loses. But as long as their their strategy is consistent, it's going to go up over time. Do you see the same thing when right. it comes to real estate investing? In real estate, here here's the the big takeaway on this subject is to never become over emotional about a property. The second you become motivated to buy that house and you know, the red flags start to raise, but then your emotions, you know, remove those red flags and you buy a house anyway. It's like, you know, you're going to make a mistake every time. So it's really all about the numbers. Right. Stick to the numbers. And, and yes, I've become overly emotional about properties and you just want to jump in just to say you have your first investment property. It could even be your 10th investment property. But every time you make a decision in business with your emotions, it usually will backfire on you. So it has right. to be based on those numbers. Whereas residential property, when you're t- when you when you're buying a house that you're going to live in, obviously that's going to be more emotional and maybe you'll make a mistake right. by be letting it be more emotional, but it's kind of supposed to be. Right. Because if you really love a house that you're going to live in and you buy it and then you overlook some things and it ends up costing you a little bit more money, that's not that big of a deal because you re- you have a house that you really loved. Whereas when you're looking at investing, if you overlook some stuff because you loved it, that's going to catch up with you because when it stops making money, right. you're, you're going to fall out of love in that, with that pretty quickly. Exactly. Um, yep. there, there really isn't any kind of amount of ego. Well, I shouldn't say that because there's people who dump money into bad investments out of for egotistical purposes all day long, but we don't recommend it. Well, this is, it's another, here's another tip. If, if you're flipping houses, one of the biggest mistakes I see a lot of new investors make is that they put their own emotions and personal taste into their properties where it's called over-improvement. Right. Where you're, you only are supposed to do X, Y, and Z to get the maximum return, but then your artistic side comes out, and that's well and great, but this is not artistry. This is a business, and when you right. go 20000 over budget because you put in these you know super high-end tiles or you painted some extra wall and gold or whatever the case is, you can end up in a, in a situation where you've evaporated your whole profit with trying to be an artist. And that's, that's a very, very common mistake right. um, for newer investors. So that, that's another uh, way to, to look at the emotional process and how to not be like that. It has to, it has to, everything has to be made based on the numbers, every decision. Yeah. Um, one thing that, so, so back Back in like 08, you, right. you know, like that's right around when I was getting into it professionally and you were getting into it professionally. Yep. I've observed for, from the sidelines for a couple of years before that, um, obviously. But uh, it seemed like the people, the investors who really lost their shirt were heavily invested in some of the more, well, well I, I know a couple of people, they were heavily invested in Coatesville. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like the investors who were more in like Downingtown and Westchester, kind of were able to weather it a little bit better. But the people who really lost their shirt, I saw them just unloading properties, seemed to be invested more in like the Coatesville, Norristown type of areas. Um, what makes Philly different than some of those other smaller areas, which has a low barrier of entry, but maybe not as much growth potential? 
Right. So that's, Philadelphia probably has more growth potential than any of those areas combined. Right. If you, you purchase in the right place, here's where investors lose their shirts. This is for Westchester, Downingtown, Coatesville, and it applies to Philly. It's, it's kind of a universal law that it's, it's um, like in, in Philadelphia, you can invest in a fringe area, an up-and-coming neighborhood is what they call it. And when you're in those up-and-coming areas and you, you pay too high of a price and the market turns, you guys are the ones that will lose your shirts first. So um, the flippers will lose their shirts first, the developers. Flipping is the riskiest part of this business. So for me, my business model is impervious to any change with the market unless we just run out of money in this country. <laughs> so so the bottom line is when I'm buying a house, I buy on well, cash they'll flow. Just, they'll keep printing. Right, they'll so keep printing not money. something to worry. You don't um, have to worry about that. <laughs> so, so for my model... We do a lot of lower income housing you know, yeah. using Section 8. And if I purchase a house for 20000 and put forty into it and my mortgage is four to $500 a month and I'm getting 1000 to 1200 a month in rent, nothing can ever happen to me when the market crashes because I'm protected by cash flow. Yeah. It's, it's backed and it's, it is impervious to any recession at this point. I'll always survive. So as for a rental property... You know, you want to make sure that you're you, when you buy, you buy on cash flow. You don't yeah. want to speculate and buy because it's oh, it's in an up up and coming area, and we're going to break okay. even, and you know, in a couple of years we'll be okay. Then you will never survive that. And then yeah. on the flipping side, is being very very careful that if you're on those outskirts, you make sure you're still buying it at the right price where you can get out from underneath of it if something happens quick. Uh, and, and just the thing with flipping right now, there's so many bidding wars, so many people getting into it and overpaying, and you just never want to get caught up in that you know, emotional process, and it's all based off of numbers. And my suggestion would be, uh, for anyone listening, is to get a mentor yeah. and someone that has your best interest at heart and someone that's going to look out for you, and you bring them the deals or any other questions you have before you pull the trigger and put your, your hard-earned money or someone else's hard-earned money on the line. Yeah. That is like the most important takeaway. And that's um, everything from someone helping you decide on after repaired values, um, what to offer, and also having a great contractor who understands you know, flipping and the investor mindset and what it takes for you to get the job done so they can give you a solid estimate of what needs to be done in that property. If, if you skip that part, you're, you will probably lose a lot more, a lot faster. So, so, obviously, so that's great advice. What do mentors usually look to get out of a relationship like that? Are they all just like, you know, selling their services or what, what kind of different mentors do you right. look for? In that so you, have, you have a couple of different kinds of, of mentorships. You have the, the one mentor where you... You, you go to a free boot camp, which you hear on the radio all the time. You see the ads on TV and the infomercials, but free is never free. When you get there, right. then it's the, the 90, 999 you know, boot camp, 1000 bucks for three days. And then from there, it turns to a twenty or $50,000 upsell. Right. Um, and then you get some sort of mentor who's in California, and you can call them once a week. Um, look, that, if that's what it takes to get started great but there's you could take some pros in your local area right here in downingtown exton westchester to lunch and learn the same stuff for the price of a cheesesteak as you you could paying someone fifty thousand dollars in another state right um so you, you have that and you also have local mentors who you could pay like five ten thousand dollars and they'll coach you for a certain period of time that may not be recommended either um, depending on your situation or it's what I call the internship type of mentorship or, or on-the-job training where your job is 
you have time and energy, you find a really good off-market deal, and the deal's so good that um, you can find a joint venture mentor who will not only mentor you, but bring all the other assets needed to get the deal done right. and then partner with you on the project. So you don't even have to come out of pocket and you split profits and you learn at the same time. That would be something that a person like myself and tons of other people in the marketplace would be interested in looking at, something like that. So that's a win-win situation because you're, if you, you know, you're bringing the deal, they're bringing their expertise and some of their resources. Right. And they're still getting something out of it, but instead of having to write them a direct check for consulting or, or mentorship, you're learning from them, they're getting paid, and you're still making out, and you're, you're getting paid too, because they're gonna, they have your best interest at heart, because the more, when it's a win-win situation, when the better you do, they do, then you can trust that they're going to want you to do good. Exactly. You do You're not going to learn from someone sitting <laughs> on the other side of the table trying to uh, right. trying to explain to you how things work when it comes to negotiation because they're trying to negotiate against you. Absolutely. So if you got someone else on your side of the table who's going to benefit the better you do, then that's absolutely. And uh, um, so, can you tell us about any kind of deals that happened like that recently? Um, I know there was the the one flip in our office where she, the agent came to you. She didn't. She never. She never flipped anything. She right. never done any deals. I don't know if this is the best example you have, but this is one I can think of where mm -hmm. um, she wasn't quite sure what to do, and without any kind of guidance, she she either would have messed up or probably most likely not have done anything at all. But because she was only an arm's reach away from you and the other pros that we kind of work with, absolutely, that, uh, she was able to. She made out pretty decent on that, right? That like a really good deal. So Maria at the office. Uh, she she had a deal, and this is her first time, like you said, and she really had no idea what to do. So, being the fact that she's an agent in my office, I, I you know helped mentor her throughout the process and told her what to do step by step. So the first thing, you know, said, here's what you need to get the property under contract at, and if you can get it at these numbers, you're going to be very happy. And that's all that the seller ended up wanting. So she ends up getting the contract signed, and from there, said, you don't just close on it yet. You know, let's go out here get contractor estimates. So we, we got three different contractor estimates. I walked through the house with her. All of the renovations came in like between 125 and 150. Mm -hmm. And just a note to anyone out there, like that is a major renovation. As a first timer, you may not want to get involved with something like that. This type of renovation, this involved knocking down walls, tearing off the roof and building an addition because there was you know a problem with the layout of the house and just doing a whole bunch of things and anything could go wrong at any time and could blow your budget really right. fast. But we got the estimates. I told her not to worry about it. You know, we're not going to turn around now. We're just going to change our strategy. Mm -hmm. So I helped her, you know, raise some private money. And then from there, so she, she purchased the deal with none of her own money. She had two or three different money sources, which we'll talk about in a second. So yeah. she bought it, said, all right, do not do any renovations to this house. Just Put it back on the market, give it 30 days, see if you can find a contractor who will buy it and might be able to do the work a hell of a lot cheaper, and then you know, you'll know you make a nice little cut in the middle. Yeah. So less than 30 days, she clears $50,000 net on that, uh -huh. on one flip in 30 days, and didn't have to lift a hammer or make one single repair or put a dollar out of her own pocket. So you guys, you got... You got so the estimates were like 120, right? But she still made money not having to put that money out to to do that thing, right? So she just basically flipped um, a fixer upper to another investor who yeah. was a contractor who maybe could have done that same job for eighty thousand, 
Right. So it makes the number still makes sense for that end buyer, and she just made that money in the middle. Now, now granted, she, she did do a, a good amount of work, though. She did. I mean, I mean she, clearing out, cleaning up. All credit goes to her yeah. because she was the one who found the money sources. You know, just under you know me giving some guidance. She was the one who found the seller. She was the one who found the contractors, and you know she just took what the mentor gave her and ran with it and implemented everything and, and flawlessly executed every step along the way. Right. And most people right. don't 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 do it like that. But for her, she made it happen. And yes, it is possible to do this no money down real estate. This is a home run type of a deal. So I don't want to make it seem like every day we come out <laughs> right. to, to swing the bat, we're hitting home runs. But when you put yourself in front of that opportunity train at least a couple times a year, these deals are guaranteed. Right. All the other ones might be five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollar deals, and you might have to do some renovations. But if you're in the business around the right people, I've seen deals even bigger than that. Right. Um, it's funny because I even like because I'm like like I knew her when we were in the same office before, where you know she's sitting there doing her calls and she's calling up like she's doing her cold calling because we're in an office right. that's all about the cold calling and hammering the phones, doing your lead gen time, and I would sit next to her and I would just listen to her getting hung up off like old people because. You know, like the person who still picks up their phone and listens right. to like a, a cold call pitch is going to be someone, you know, it's, uh, you know, they're retired. They're, you know, yeah, anyway, she's getting hung up on people who are never good prospects to begin with over and over again. I was like, oh man, this is rough. And then like a couple of years later, you know, we run, run back into each other and she's telling me about this flip and I'm like, wait, hold on. You're a professional flipper now. Right. Like what the heck just happened? Um, it was it was really cool, like just to see that like progression, which isn't necessarily doesn't have to take a lot of time. It just has to be you know be willing and make the right, right. decision. Where do you direct your focus? Exactly. Who do you spend your time around, and that influences you influences you to to make those kinds of moves, and and then also just follow through and execution. And she's not a one one hit wonder either. She she has right. two more flips going on as we speak, and she's going to continue on that path. So it's um, pretty amazing to see. All right. So I want to hear about what is, what's the, what's the worst deal you've ever been involved in? Like, is there, can you think of something where like you just slapping your head afterwards thinking, what was I thinking? I made, I totally miffed that one up. Like, is anything that come off, you don't have to give us too many details, right. but like out of curiosity, what was like a major mistake you can point back to that was a big learning experience? It's a great question, and and, and I do have one that just popped into my mind, and, it, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's so many times that we're all talking about the success stories without talking about mistakes, and I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. I make mistakes till this day, and I look forward to every mistake I make on a daily basis because I learn a lesson every single time. So uh, the one that came, comes to my mind right now is a flip – Remember, a flip is a buy, fix, and sell quick. I bought it in 2008 and still own it to this day, and it's now a rental property. So that was a big mistake. And what had happened there was not, first and foremost, is when you get into something, you have to have a clear exit strategy. Are you yeah. buying it as a rental or are you buying it as a flip? And during the process, I kept changing my mind and I didn't know what to do. So the plans kept changing, which, you know, it, it hurt me when it came time to execution. The, uh, and the bigger mistake was hiring the, the family friend, handyman slash contractor from hell who says, I can do everything from drywall to electrical to plumbing. And I'm just, trust me, I'll get the job done. No problem. I'll give you that family discount and it's going to be amazing. 
one year later, he's moved into my house and he's <laughs> like living out of a rehab project and uh, went probably six to nine months over what it should have taken. Yeah. And, and then it ended up with the market turning. I, I couldn't really sell it. And we just ended up keeping it as a rental. Wow. I made the classic mistake of over improving and just ripping out perfectly fine walls because they weren't drywall. It was plaster. They were fine for that marketplace and a whole bunch of other mistakes that were made. Uh, however, I'm not upset about it because it's cash flowing and working for us. But it, right. it was definitely a big mistake at the time, and it wasn't supposed to go that way. Right. So not having a clear plan, um, maybe trusting people, not, right. cr- not, not, not approaching things from uh, an objective mindset and vetting people uh, right. appropriately. Uh, what things do you think you would, you would – like if you were to like sit down with yourself back then, what would you – I mean other than that, like was it like mentorship, advice, a little bit hasty? Like what was some of the advice you would have you given yourself? Mentorship for sure. I think the, um, the second thing is, is, is getting three contractor estimates Yeah. And, and knowing exactly what you want that contractor to do because a contractor can do whatever you tell them to do and you can spend 50,000 in the house or you can spend 150 gotcha. and working with a contractor that knows that this is what I have to do you know to make this house great for the next buyer without over improving mm-hmm. and having that step by step process so that would have helped you know big time you know like having different estimates and and estimates to compare to the other estimates and and going about it that way and also you know just being better at construction management. When something goes wrong, you have to be fast to fire and slow to hire. I should have gotten rid of this person the second I spotted the issue. Instead, I let it linger on way too long, mm-hmm. and that was probably one of the biggest mistakes. You know, if, you, if, you, if you let a contractor get ahead of you too much, you know they will take advantage, and you can lose thousands and thousands of dollars. I've seen it happen over and over and over. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Like you make sure you keep on top of your contractors that if they start, you know, screwing things up, just pull the plug immediately, fire them and get someone else in there to fix it. Cool. Um now was that the very first deal that you did? That flip? That was one of them. It was like yeah. one of the first three, if not the first one. Gotcha. For sure. So 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 real quick, going back into your background, before real estate, you said you were kind of you you were doing party promoting. Okay. So right. so just real you know, real quick, like what did that entail? What kind of activities were you doing there? Right. So uh moved to Pittsburgh with a friend who graduated from UPIT and you know, we were working with the college to bring certain student organizations out to some of the restaurants and bars in the area to, um, you know to build their culture and environment and, and help them have a good time so that was that was the uh, the main niche I always knew I wanted to get in real estate and I was taking some community college courses and I quickly realized you know it was everything was self-funded so mm-hmm. I started to think about it more and more and more like I'm sinking myself you know into debt with you know paying for these courses and I'm going to end up with a piece of paper that who knows where it's going to end up yeah and I always wanted to be in business so I just decided to um, drop out entirely and, and put all of my time, energy, and resources into you know building this real estate business. What were some of the early influences? Like, did you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad at that time? Like, what were some of the, the, the early uh, authors, programs that, that kind of was keep, that, that was getting you thinking about real estate at the time? Right. So I think m- me, first and foremost, 
it was my own mindset, mm-hmm. kind of like a, a rebel, you know, do everything against the grain, uh, do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And sometimes in life that got me in trouble and, and sometimes it, it got me uh, further along. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think like the first real estate course or program was a guy named Carlton Sheets, No Money Down Real Estate. He was the guy like hanging out in the palm trees and taking crazy <laughs> vacations. I should sue him now because I'm still not living that lifestyle, but I'm getting a little bit closer. So that was like the first influence. Uh, but you know, then from there, you have to really dig down and start working because nothing is as easy as it seems. And um, you know, yeah. that's that's kind of how we, we ended up getting into the real estate business. Yeah, yeah. What kind of what events kind of led you to coming back and then leading you into re- like really de- getting into real estate investing? Because that's a kind of a hard jump for a lot of people. A lot of people might read Rich Dad Poor Dad, but they don't really know how to go. And I, I said before, going from mm-hmm. zero to one is like the biggest jump, really. Right. I think the main thing is, you know, I left, you know, kind of a, a partnership gone awry, uh, came back, and at that time, you know, before real estate, I was probably like 24, 25, and you know, I have nothing to lose. I don't, I, I didn't have, I don't have kids. Right. I didn't, and. You know, for me, it was just like a goal, a dream, and an ambition, and a willingness to like I I will work for knowledge type of a situation, and just started to um, hang around in circles. That's you really do become the company that you keep, and uh, there's that that quote that says you you become the average of the five people you spend the most time around, and. I just started finding all these real estate investment groups and clubs and going to those meetings, you know, mostly as a sponge. First soaking up information, writing down all of my questions when I'm not at the meetings and coming back and finding the nearest expert. And then, you know, as you ask a lot of questions, you know, that that curiosity and ambition shows to the people that are like already out there like, wow, this kid has potential. He's showing up every month. He's asking the right questions, you know, which leads to the, the next you know, phase of this is just saying like, look, what can I do? I have the time, energy, and drive to become successful. How can I help you grow? And at the same time, you help me grow and I can learn more from you. So I, that was the next phase. And then plugging in with a couple of, of guys who were doing wholesaling on a major scale in Philadelphia and doing a lot of different stuff with real estate. Um, you know, I plugged in with them and, and that whole, yeah. um, that's how I ended up in the Philadelphia real estate market. And, and that experience there, uh, you know, just like, took my business and knowledge and understanding to the next level of real estate markets, um, everything in general. So I'm very appreciative of that time that I had to mentor with those people and work at that that organization. You know, like that's the main thing. What's the best way to find some of those groups, or or are there specific groups still going on that you would recommend? Right. Um, but is it just like go on Meetup, find the, yeah. the local you know investors club or right so like you go to meetup.com and there's all, look up real estate investment groups and there's tons there i think the, the one of the the ones i recommend is dig diversified investor group yeah they have been around for 30 plus years memberships 150 bucks a year um you, you can yeah. you can spend that much in a month on starbucks coffee <laughs> and there's a thousand plus members the network and the people there and their willingness to help you become successful is amazing. I've made great connections. I've done great business with people there. And I'm not a spokesperson for that group. I'm a, I am a past board member. But yeah. it's a nonprofit organization. No one is there to really do anything but help you. So that, that's a great organization. There's you some m- others. You might as well be a spokesperson for them. Because whenever I like meet like people in the business, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, like like Hope Smart Realty, Bill Kratz. They go, oh, Bill Kratz. I know him, I know him from Dig. Yep. <laughs> so, so I, I spent a lot of time there, and I still do. And then there's there's other guys like Brian Mira, Hone Tai, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, Jason Centeno, that run the Real Estate Rebels group, and they have a, a little bit of a different model, but it's an excellent group with an excellent culture, and they really are producing some, like, those next generation of up-and-coming real estate investment stars. So gotcha. um, connecting with those kinds of groups uh, will definitely help you. And, and you can't do this alone. Being an entrepreneur and being in business is a lonely journey. Mm. And um, that isolation is is never healthy. So you want to make sure you surround yourself with like-minded people who can keep you motivated, you know, keep ideas fresh in your mind and keep you accountable to, you know, driving your business. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, now, in those early days, so you were doing a lot of just in basically interning, apprenticing, like, yep. hey, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to work, to kind of hustle just for, for knowledge. Right. Um, what were some of the factors that led you into doing some of your first deals? Um, we talked about a little bit, it was more, it, was it more of like a, a joint venture type of situation or did you have money saved up and you were using a lot of your own right. cash at first? So yeah, look, I guess first and foremost, everyone thinks that well, I have to have tons of money to invest in real estate. So let's just bust that myth right away and make it a fact that you do not have to have a single dollar to make a $50,000 profit in the real estate business. Mm-hmm. Yes, it makes it much easier and gives you more options and and more bandwidth to do things in real estate, but you, money is not required. So f- for me, um, I was the deal finder. So we were the ones out there knocking on doors, doing the direct mailers, doing internet ads, and and finding the motivated sellers with properties they just wanted to get rid of that needed a ton of work, and we would buy them so far under market value that we could flip them over to other investors for profits, or we could you know get our buyer way into a joint venture partnership. There was one where we had a hundred grand profit on on the uh, table on a house in South Philly. And we brought it to the guy and said, look, we don't just want to sell this to you for a quick couple of bucks. We'd love to joint venture mentor. We'll be your gopher. Whatever you need us to do during the project, great. But we just want your mentorship in return, and we want to split the profits 50-50. And he looked at it pretty quick and said, it's either I can make $50,000 or make nothing because there was a legitimate $100,000 profit on this project, and that's exactly what ended up happening. So on no money into the deal, we, at the end of it, we made close to 50000 and he made close to 50000 and it was um, a solid deal. So if you can be the deal finder, you can buy yourself into mentorships, you can buy yourself into partnerships, you can get anything you want with the right deal. Right. And people kind of like... Like I think of like the the We Buy Homes for Cash bandit signs on right. the side of the road, and just because they're next to the work from home, go to this website or call this number. Right. That's most likely a scam. The We Buy Homes for Cash is just looking for specific people, uh, you know, right. people who 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 time is more important than than necessarily every right. dollar and cents. Exactly. Um, I just recently had a friend, same situation. He uh, he ended up he ended up working with a wholesaler with an investor instead of doing the work himself and flipping it. He was like, it's going to take X number of dollars. It's going to take nine to 12 months where this guy's going to allow me to cash out right now. And uh, that's a service, you know? And it's, Absolutely. It's, it's not for everybody, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to not at all. You, or advan- you know, take advantage because there's people and there's areas that need that, um, especially in some of the more, you know, as you say, up and coming or the one the places that should be up and coming but aren't. You know, we kind of need the investors to go in there and start making it nicer so people are. Absolutely. Attracted. And it's like peace of mind is more 
powerful than money in a lot of situations. And you're providing a service that is helping people. So I get hugs at settlement from the clients right. that I help out of a, a bad situation. And I always disclose what the, the fair market values are. And, and they still choose to take a low offer because when you are in a situation where, let's say, you've inherited a property and then the roof starts leaking and then someone breaks in to steal the copper and you have no <laughs> peace of mind and you have to go there and travel every week and you're afraid right. to open the door and now you're you're missing your family because you're dealing with this headache to have someone come in and offer to close on that house in two to three weeks is yeah. powerful. Right. So it's like, you know, you can't put a price tag on, on peace of mind. So that's how you can find these deals and make good money when you, you find, you know, people that have situations where they just want to be cashed out, where yeah. money's not the most important object. Yeah. So, uh, so what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they have any questions or like a website they should check out? I think like the first uh, point of contact, uh, find me on Facebook, uh, yeah. Bill Kratz, last name spelled K-R-A, T as in Tom, Z as in zebra. Yeah. Or on Instagram at join home smart, smart as in intelligent. Yeah. And we'll connect there. And once we connect on Facebook or Instagram, you just send me a direct message and we can start up a line of communication. Be happy to help out um, structuring your investment objectives, talking about business in general and how to, to, to structure that. And um, if you're a real estate agent and you're looking for um, a better home and, and looking to build wealth through real estate, I can help with that as well. And I'm just here as a resource. You know, yeah. I, I have nothing to sell. It's all about providing value and information that can help the people in our community. So uh, just consider me a resource. And I really appreciate your time, Sean, for putting this all together. You're an amazing realtor, and that's how we met. And um, I just wanted to say thank you again. You're awesome. Hey, man, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.